All right, let me pray. Dear God, I thank you for good weather and a chance to be out here and not be burning up. And I thank you for a chance to be back with students here today and this year. God, as we open up your word, I pray uh, that you would open up our hearts. And I pray that your spirit would speak tonight, give me clarity of thought, and give us soft hearts to you. Change us through your word. I ask you that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Um, so normally what we do at the table, for those of you guys who've never been before, our, our usual format is a little different than what we're doing these next few nights. Usually we take a book of the Bible. This semester it's going to be Ephesians. And we walk through that, that book verse by verse. We divide the night into two halves. Um, and so we'll, we'll take about 20, 25 minutes walking through the text, kind of verse by verse, sentence by sentence, and breaking it down, making sure we got a good grasp of what that text means, the background and the context and all of those things. And then after we've done that, we take a, a three, four minute break, and then we get back, and then we start talking about um, what this text has to do with our lives and how we apply that and how we live that out. And we do that because we don't just want to help you understand the Bible. We want to help you know how to read the Bible yourself. We want to help you understand how to interpret it. And so that's what we will be doing uh, in a few weeks. But for the first three weeks, we're going to be covering what we call our five things at the table. Um, these are kind of the five characteristics, uh, the five values, whatever you want to call it, that we try to instill in our students while they are here that we have noticed as we've been doing college ministry, students that possess these five things seem to thrive, not only in school, but after school. And so this is what we try to instill in them. If you've been around a little bit, you know that there's a little bit, little bit of controversy surrounding the name five things. Uh, there are some people who are deeply convinced that because this place is the table, we should call it the five legs of the table. Uh, those people have clearly never seen a table before, okay? Uh, there's no such thing as a five-legged table, so it's the five things. That's what we're sticking with. Um, but we're going to cover those for a little bit tonight. Uh, I'm going to jump into that in just a second. First, I want you to discuss something in the little groups that you're in, all right? Um, there are few things that stress us out more, few things that like discombobulate us more and kind of throw us off more than major life change. Um, when, when something big happens and everything switches, we are kind of by nature creatures of habit and routine. And so when that gets thrown off through some big instance in life, uh, marriage or the birth of a child or the death of a loved one or moving, those kinds of things, that really throws us off. Um, this isn't like a scientific, but this is just kind of from my own perspective. Uh, going to college is definitely in the top ten. Because in going to college, you combine so many of those other things where uh, you're moving to a different place and you're leaving behind a lot of relationships and you've got to develop new ones and you've got to come up with new disciplines and new responsibilities and all those things. And so it can be a really tough thing. Some of you are living that right now. Uh, you just moved in the last week and I'm describing these things and I'm describing your life and you're sitting there in front of people going, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, right? Because that's what you've been feeling for the last week or two. And that's all right. Um, all of us have been there at some point. But here's what I want you to do for just a second. I want you to take a minute in the groups that you have and answer these two questions. What changed when it comes to moving and going away to college? 
what change do you dread the most or is the hardest for you? And then what change are you most excited about? Now, some of you guys, if, if you're, you can answer that how you want. If you're not a freshman, you can answer that past tense. Um, what change was the hardest for you? What change was the, the coolest or most excited for you? Or, or maybe even as a senior, you're experiencing that now. Maybe you transferred or maybe just, uh, you just changed major. So answer that however you want. What was the hardest change or is the hardest change? What was the most exciting? What is? I'm just going to give you two minutes, one minute piece. So talk about that for just a second. All right, <clears throat> bring it back in. All right, um, give me just, I, j I just want to hear a few of them. Give me one of the things that was said that you most dread. What's one of the, the hardest changes, the one you dread most about going to college? Or did dread, you could say it. Making friends, okay. I'm from California and I love my family. Oh, California. Plus the weather is so much worse here, right? So... Oh, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> Fire tornadoes. It's like a sci-fi movie. That's crazy. Okay, missing your family. I heard making friends. Give me one more. Making your own decisions, all right? That's, so there's some people, before they came to college, that was what they were most excited about. And then they got here, and that was the thing that's, that was the hardest, right? That, because of video. Somebody give me, what, what are you most excited about, or were most excited about? What? I heard one. Living alone. Okay. Living alone. All right, good. The table. The table. I love it. Good answer. All right, you get a Chick-fil-A card. All right. Uh, Caleb, I'll go with you again, man. Making your own decisions. Making your own decisions. Very good. Very good. I like it. Okay. Okay. Um, 
Dude, there is a lot that goes on. Even if you're not a freshman, even if you've just been home for an extended period because of coronavirus, and now you're trying to come out of that and not only come back to school and all that, but figure out what this new world is um, with masks and distance and how to make this all work. Um, I want you to know that at least in this moment, I feel your pain a little bit, uh, that I can identify with you. Because for the last month, right now, I am in the process of moving. Uh, and, and not like to another city or anything, just, just to another house in here. Um, but, but I have been in the process, my wife and I, of packing up everything we have and sorting through everything we have and, and doing all the things to keep our house clean, to sell it and list it, all those things. And right now, if you were to walk in my house, it is just boxes everywhere. My life is boxes right now. My life is in boxes. And, and they're all over our house. We've got full ones and empty ones and a stack of broken down ones in the garage waiting to be used. People keep hearing that we're moving and they just come and drop off all their boxes at our house. And so now I need boxes to fit all the boxes that people are bringing to us. And our house that we're moving to, we're moving out next Thursday, a week from today. Our house that we're moving to isn't finished yet. It's getting kind of re remodeled and stuff. And so we're going to be living with my aunt and uncle. So we got to figure out what boxes we need for there and what boxes go into storage and all of that stuff. And, and so my life is boxes right now. But in more than one way. Uh, my, my life is boxes right now, physically and, and literally everything is there, but, but I've actually come to feel because of uh, the fact that we're moving, and we're not just moving, we're moving in the busiest two months if you do college ministry of the whole year, August and September. And we're moving in the middle of this weird pandemic when everything's all weird. And we decided, because of the uncertainty of the schools and how they're doing stuff, we decided to homeschool our kids. So we're trying to figure that out. And so right now, not only is like physically my stuff in boxes, but I feel like everything I have, all the different aspects of my life, whether it's my family or like my hobbies and the stuff that I like to do or my job or those things, like someone has taken these things and just packed them up and scattered them all over the room. And I'm running from thing to thing trying to make sure that I spend enough time with my family and take care of my responsibilities in this area of life, but also trying to kind of keep my job and my ministry going and, and learning all of those things. And, and as much as I love doing hobbies and stuff, I can't even like pick this one up right now and everything is a little bit everywhere. It's where my mind feels. It's all there. I can't figure out how to make it all fit together. Some of you know what that's like. Like I said, if, if you just moved here, if you're a freshman, this is probably what it feels like. You've got all these pieces, your social life, your school life, which I got here, your school life, you've got your work, you've got your friends, you've got your roommate situation, and you're trying to figure out, how do I make all of this stuff fit together? And it feels like it just can't be done, like it's scattered all over the place right now. There are some people who live this way not just when they move, not just when they transition into college, but they live their whole lives this way. And it's not because they're scrambled. Tonight, here's what I want to suggest to you. That most people live their lives in one of two ways. And then after I suggest and explain those two ways to you, I want to tell you why I think you should choose instead a third way. And I want to explain that third way to you and, and urge you and make the case that you would spend your college years and the rest of your life living in that third way. 
So I said there, there are some people who live like this. I want to call this a disconnected life, or you might call it a partitioned life. And the idea is that I have all these different parts of who I am, all these different aspects of my life, but all of them kind of have their place. All of them have a spot, but the truth is, none of them really kind of touch. And I kind of like it that way. It's cleaner that way. It's neater that way to kind of keep everything in its own little compartment. And my friend life is my friend life. And my school life is my school life. And my family life is my family life. And, and for the most part, I keep these things where I want them to be. It's easier that way. It's simpler that way to do those things. This is a partitioned or a disconnected life. A lot of people want to live their lives in this way. And then there's this other category that, that, that people, I think, more than any other area that people have a tendency to do this in. And that's this one. A lot of people have a, a Jesus box. This, this aspect of their life that belongs to Jesus. Or, or not, not everybody would call it a Jesus box. Maybe some people would call it like a God box. And, and I recognize not everybody even has one of these boxes. Or a spirituality box, maybe you would call it. Maybe not everybody here has one of these boxes. Maybe not everybody here even is sure if they want one of these boxes. And that's okay. That's, that's, that's okay. Like, this isn't, you're, you're not in the wrong place, I guess is what I'm saying when I say that. Like, uh, if, if you're not sure what you think of this and where you, whether or not you want one of these boxes, um, this, is a, this is a great place for you to be as you try to figure it out as we're all figuring that stuff out together. But, but for a lot of people, this category is the easiest and most likely to be separated. Sometimes because we want it to be. Sometimes because, let's just be honest, this one makes the other one of these awkward sometimes. This one doesn't fit very well, and so some people actually prefer to leave this box at home when they go to college. Because college won't be quite as fun when I bring the Jesus box with me. Or at least it'll be a little bit weird, it'll be a little bit awkward. And there's some people who, they don't do it on purpose. It's like they, they, they want to have this part of their life that belongs to Jesus. I, I read my Bible. I, I go to church. I go to, to Bible studies like this. But they're just not sure what that has to do with everything else. Like, so what does that have to do with, with class on Monday morning? What does that have to do with my job? And they don't see how the spiritual meets with the everyday and the normal. Uh, a number of you who go, that's, that's not me. That's not my life. Your life is, is different than this. Your life looks something like this. And let me tell you, as someone who's moving right now and is going to spend the next month of my life living out of boxes, living out of suitcases, I cannot wait till this day. I cannot wait until we get into our house and everything finds its proper place. And I can put everything in its proper drawer. And, and in this one everything has a place and you can even kind of put it in order of importance, giving more importance to, to larger things and bigger things. And so you can take, maybe you know that this is where you're going to spend a lot of your time is in school. Maybe some of you guys, it goes way down here. Okay. Um, and I know that for all of you, if you're in college, that this drawer is your sleep. Okay. That's how, that's how much you get to this. And this one is healthy eating. All right. Um, but, but, you have the play. The idea with this kind of living, and we call this ducks in a row life, the ducks in a row, because it keeps all your ducks in a row. You know where everything goes is that everything has a place. 
Everything is prioritized, and I see how it all fits together and how it all connects together. And there are a lot of you here, again, I'm not assuming everybody, but there are a lot of you who would say Jesus is, is not just a box in my life. He's not just one of the aspects of my life. It's, it's not just even a drawer, but the largest and the most important to me. And I want to make Him the most important thing I do. I want to make Him the number one priority in my life, and so I'm going to do that. And I love the heart behind this way of thinking. I love the mindset behind this. There's just one problem. That when you start to do the math, this is hard to make it work. For example, most of you here, if you're enrolled this semester, most of you are going to have somewhere around 15 hours of classes each week. I know it's weird because some of it you're watching videos and all of that stuff, but 15 hours of classes. And then on top of that, you're going to have time where you actually got to study and work outside of the classroom. So you can add another 5 to 10 hours to that. Uh, make that 25 easy. That might not count labs. That might not count group projects. That might not count the extra times when you've got midterms and you've got to really cram. And you can see that the clock starts moving up and up and pretty soon you're giving 30, 40 hours a week to this one. And my guess is that nobody here is praying 30 to 40 hours a week. And my guess is that as much as some of you might like the church or you might like the table or whatever it is, that you're not spending 50 hours a week doing church and table related things or ministry related things. So then how can a person say that Jesus is the most important thing to them or their spirituality is the most important thing to them when the vast majority of their time is spent on very unspiritual things? And that's why I want to propose to you a third way of looking at things. A third way of living. This is a way that views all of this completely different. There's a third way of seeing things that says Jesus is not just a drawer in the dresser that is my life. He is the dresser itself. That He is the one that everything else fits inside of. He is the one in whom everything else I do, be it my job or my, uh, my hobbies or my friendships or my roommates, that everything else finds its place in, finds its proper spot in. And so I put all of those things in that location. What if the dichotomy that we've made between spiritual and normal everyday things is a false dichotomy? What if Jesus was right when he said that the greatest command in all of Scripture is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind, that every aspect of your life is a means by which you can love God, a means by which you can honor and glorify Him. I can't even find my stickers anymore. A means by which that you can find and honor and love Him is that everything fits in Him. What if... You're here at OSU for something bigger than just getting a degree. What if God has something bigger in mind than that for you? I want to suggest to you that it's all true. And I want to suggest to you this third way of looking at things. We call this gospel-centered life. And that's the first of our five 
things at the table, a gospel-centered life. We define gospel-centered life as this, letting Jesus' work and identity shape every area of your life. That is, who He is and what He's done, we'll get to that, shapes every part of me, that I do everything I can in line with what the gospel teaches me about Jesus. I do everything I can to honor Him, to display His love to people, to show who He is and His kingdom in this world. This, I believe, is the way that you were intended to live. This is the way I want to urge you and encourage you to. Now, I told you that I believe this is the best way, but I haven't told you why yet. And some of you may be asking that. Um, Why should I do this, Drew? Why should I make Jesus the big dresser that everything else fits in? What if I like my life the way it is? What if everything's working out fine for me? What if I like having control of these things and using them how I want to use them? Why should I live a gospel-centered life? Why should I live a life big like this? Let me just say before I answer that question, you already are. Whether you realize it or not, every one of us is living this kind of life. The question is simply what your dresser is. Everyone has a dresser, if you will. Everyone has one big thing that drives who they are, drives and motivates everything they do. One thing that affects all the different aspects of their life, whether they see it or not. It's just part of being human. We are, one author says that human beings are teleological beings. That's just a a fancy way of saying that we are hardwired to have an end goal in us. We are hardwired, it's inside of us, to have a purpose, to have something that we chase. We are desire-driven, and we can't avoid that. And so there's going to be something that is driving your life and everything else you do. See, we may, I I, I half lied to you when I say that there's two other ways to live. There is. There are these other ways, these ways of partitioning everything off. But even when a person partitions their life off into different segments, they're doing that because there's something bigger that they're after comfort or peace of mind or whatever it is. They, they parcel everything out. Even when people do ducks in a row and they, and they prioritize it, they do it because there's something that they're after. And some people know exactly what it is. Some people know exactly what they're chasing. There are a number of people who don't. It's so autopilot to them. It's so intuitive, it sits right below the surface of their consciousness, and everything they do moves them towards that end without them even realizing it sometimes. We all have that kind of idea, that kind of mindset, moving inside of us, changing us for these things. For students, this is somewhat stereotypical, but I think that it fits. For students, that tends to fit in one of four categories. Fun. That is, enjoying life or pleasure. And some people accomplish this through uh, partying. Some people accomplish this through gaining as many cool experiences as they can. Some people accomplish this through staying up late and playing video games every night. Whatever makes life enjoyable for me. And they build their entire life around that. The second would be success. That is, I'm going to be the best at whatever it is I do. I'm going to rise to the top. I'm going to be known 
for what I do. And everything they do builds around that. There's some that it's money, which is closely connected to this, but can be different. That I want to make a lot of money. I want to be financially set. I want to be comfortable in life. And so everything they do, the reason they study like they do, the reason they get in the clubs they do is so that they can set themselves up to make money. And then the last is relationships. Whatever it is so that someone will love me. So that I'll find that person that completes me, that makes me feel okay about myself. And their lives are driven around that. I don't know if one of those four fits you or not. But that's where a lot of students sit. So why should it not be any of those things? And why should it be Jesus instead? Here's why I believe. Because that's what you were made for. And that's where the gospel part comes in. We call it gospel-centered life for a reason because the gospel is, is kind of at the heart of this. When we say the gospel, the gospel literally means, in the Bible, when you hear that word, it literally means good news. And so the gospel is this good news. It's the news about a world that was made good but has been broken and torn up but that God is making right again. Okay, that's, that's kind of what the good news is, that God is making everything wrong right again, that He's in the process of that, starting with people. Now, let me give you the five-minute version of what the whole Bible teaches, all right? Uh, the gospel in the, the story of Scripture in five minutes, it goes like this, that there is a God who created everything we see and everything we don't see, and He made all of that out of love and out of joy and for His glory. And at the pinnacle of his creation sits you and I, human beings made in his image. Now, what it means to be made in the image of God is this, that you were made to relate to God, that you were made to know him and to love him and to experience his love in your life. And you were also made to reflect him and his character, to live out the kind of character, the kind of nature he is. And since that is your design, that's how you may notice this. Whether, whether you're a Christian or not, you may notice that life works best when you find yourself living within loving relationships. When you find yourself being a self-giving person rather than a selfish person. When you find yourself caring for others rather than just caring for yourself, when you do those things, the reason things go more smoothly is because you are living in line with the image that was imprinted on you. And when we choose to live selfishly, when we live for ourselves and turn inward, when we live in conflict, we're living against the very nature of God who is always loving who is always self-giving, who is always self-sacrificial. And so when we live against that, it bumps us up against those things. This is what we were made for, to know Him and live in obedience to Him, to live like Him. But the Bible says that we chose to do something else instead. Rather than living in harmony with Him and living and following Him, we chose to go our own way, to rebel against Him and to say that I will be in charge of all the things of my life. And we turned away from Him and severed ourselves from him. The Bible calls this, the word is sin. And here's the really weird thing about sin. We are both sin's perpetrators and its victims. That we are the ones who commit it, every single person in the world, and we are the ones who suffer from it. 
That the very things that we run after to please ourselves often enslave us. The very things we try to do to make us happy when we sever ourselves from God is what makes us miserable, is what causes so much injustice and hardship and hatred and evil in the world because we have chosen to go our own way. We are sin's victims and its perpetrators. But the story of Scripture, by the way, what I just told you is only like the first three chapters of the Bible. So buckle up, we've only got about 300 more chapters to go. The rest of the story is about a God who is coming out to reclaim everything that was lost. Who is setting out in great love and in great intentionality to redeem and make everything back the way it was supposed to be, starting with you and I. And throughout the scripture, there's this promise that he's going to send this person who's going to do it, who's going to come and make all things right, and who's going to restore the image back into humanity again, the way it's supposed to be. And then finally, one day it comes, God sends his own son, Jesus, who lives the life that you and I were supposed to live, modeling the image of God, displaying his love and his righteousness and his holiness and his truth for the world to see. And then he dies the death that we were supposed to die. That he dies in my place to take my sins away from me. All the things I did that severed me away from the God who loves me, all the things I did that pushed myself away and made this gap that I could never cross, He came and took care of all of that by dying for those sins so that now there is nothing that separates me between, uh, between me and God, me and the Father that I was made to know and love. And the story continues that he's not done there, that after dying he rose from the dead, which proved that he was the king of all things and that he is going to undo every bad thing, including death itself, making everything right again, and that he is continuing that work even to this day and he has invited us to be in on it. He's not only invited us to be into his family, to come with him to the loving Father who knows us, but he's also invited us to be a part of going out and doing what God does, loving and redeeming the world. And that's a story, that's a purpose, that's a dresser worth living for. That's one worth coming after. Paul says this, and, and, and normally we're going to open up the Bible right, right out of the gate. Tonight's a little different. I'm taking it to you towards the end. Romans 12, 1-2. If you've got your Bibles, go there. I know some of you are going, I thought we were Romans last year. Yes, we were Romans last year, but I want to touch on it one more time as we jump into this next year. Romans 12, 1-2. Romans is this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Rome, basically explaining what Christian belief is all about, that is the gospel, and what the Christian life is all about. And Paul spends the first 11 chapters of this, by, of this book basically telling you what I just told you, the gospel. And then after that, he comes to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. i got to make sure i got light. I haven't figured out how to make this light work yet. Hey, sweet. This is what he says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. So here's what Paul says. He says, I am urging you 
to live every aspect of your life for God, to offer all of it as this kind of living sacrifice, completely dedicated to God for His work and His purpose. He says, I want you to renew your mind, to change your mindset about the way that you're going to live, to see everything through the lens of the gospel and to live for His honor and His glory. But notice how those verses began. Verse 1, he does not say, therefore, in order to get God to love you. Therefore, in order to be a really good person, I urge you to live... No, it's not what he says. Therefore, in order to be accepted, in order to be a good Christian, that's not what he says. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, in view of everything he has done for you in Jesus, live like this. And see, this is where Christianity is different. Not just from every other religion in the world, but also from every other dresser in the world. In every other religion, the idea is I do good things so that God will be pleased with me, so He will accept me, so He will love me. In Christianity, the idea is God has loved me first through Jesus, and therefore I want to do things to to love Him back. I don't do anything to get Him to like me. He He already does. He already sent His Son to die for me, and so I live in response to that. But this is also true of the dresser. See, whatever your dresser may be, whatever your big driving thing may be, in every other case, the thing that drives you does not reward you with what you want until you earn it. You want success? Life says fine, you can have it, but you're going to have to work hard for it. You're going to have to get up early. You're going to have to stay up late. You're going to have to study longer than all your other classmates. You're going to have to ace your test. You're going to have to nail that that, uh, job interview. You're going to have to do whatever it takes to earn it. And then maybe you can have success. And when you get there, then you'll get to find out whether it was worth it or not. You want to have fun? Awesome. You can have fun. You can do all the things you want, but it's going to cost you. You're going to have to give up on some important things. You're going to have to maybe compromise your morals and your ethics a little bit to be able to enjoy life the way you might want to enjoy it. And then when you get there, then you can see whether it satisfies you. You want a relationship? Fine, but you better do whatever it takes to get that boy's attention. You better do whatever it takes to make sure she still loves you after you started dating. And so it's going to cost you. You're going to have to work hard. And hopefully we'll see. Maybe it'll be worth it. Jesus is the only dresser that says, what do you want? It says, everything that I promised you is yours already. You want, you want to be loved? I already loved you. I already died for you. You want hope? I've got it for you. You don't got to do anything to earn that. You want peace with God? You want to be back with the one who made you and loves you? It's yours already. I died to make that possible. Jesus is the only one that gives what he promises before you do anything to earn it. And then as you pursue him and as you chase him down, he just keeps giving more of it. He just keeps satisfying. He just keeps uh, filling you up. And that's why this, I believe, is the only way to live. And that's why we want to do everything we can over the next semester, over the next year, to plead with you that you would live a gospel-centered life. Not one that feels like you've got to earn things. Not one that makes you feel like you've got to be better than everybody else. One that knows that you are already loved. One that knows that you already have a God who made you for Himself. He's already wanted to bring you in a relationship with Him if you've just placed your faith in Jesus, if you've come to Him. And now your life is changed because of that. The gospel is not just the starting point of your life. It is the foundation for every aspect of it from there on out. It changes the way you go about everything, and that's what we want for you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you two minutes. 
in quiet because I just unloaded a lot of information on you. And in the past, what we've done is we've given a lot of information and then we've been like, well, see ya. And, and it feels like we kind of back up this dump truck and then we don't give you any time to kind of process. So we're going to give you a couple minutes and I want you to just ask two questions. All right. Two questions of yourself or ask them to God or whatever, however you want to do this. Two questions. The first is this. If, the, if your dresser is not Jesus, then what is it? What is the thing that drives you? What is the thing you live for? What is the thing, if you lost it, you would be devastated and you wouldn't know what to do with yourself? What is the thing you daydream about? If your dresser is not Jesus, what is it? And then the second is this. What is one area of your life that you could better use for Christ and His purposes? What is one area of your life your friends, your school, your job, whatever, that you could go, how can I give this to God? How can I use this for Christ? Now, again, I, I don't assume that everybody here even cares about this or is thinking about this. And so, so maybe the question for you is, why not? Why wouldn't I take what Jesus promises to me? Why wouldn't I go for that? And I hope that you'll not just ask, your, ask that question of yourself tonight, but that you might stop and ask somebody here that question. Or just ask, hey, I'd like to hear a little bit more about this. Drew, Drew talked really fast. And it was hard to, hard to follow all of it. So I want to know a little bit more. I, I hope that you'll take the chance to do that. Anybody here would love to chat with you and share a little bit about it. So take a couple minutes and think through those things. And then I'll pray to wrap us up.